Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. If uh, 2020 has taught us anything, it's that we have no idea what the future holds. At least it has for me. I don't know where you are, but that's where I am anyway. Anything I thought might have happened, all bets are off. Who would have thought in a million years that the concept, not just like a day or two, but the concept of even going back to school would be even in doubt? I mean, just the basic concept. Who would even thought that? Who would have thought that meeting a friend could potentially be just out for a coffee or dinner or even stopping by their house could potentially be a dangerous proposition? Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that going to church, and I'm talking about, we're not talking about some crazy fringe weirdo church. We're talking about just like a normal, like our church, a normal Christian church that believes kind of traditional doctrine, that that would be a controversial thing. Who would have thought that? And now, as I told you at the opening of the service, I'm standing here, and it's not a concept. If it ever was, it definitely isn't now to me. I have two boys that we love dearly who are dealing with the direct impact of a virus that wasn't even a thing seven, eight months ago, nine months ago, at least not for us. And they're sitting there at the impact of sitting in isolation, uncertainty, frankly, even the fear of what's going to happen. And on top of all that, I'll just go ahead and say this, because I think some of y'all are even feeling this as well, that there's the financial impact of all this. If, it's not feel, if you're not feeling it right now, it's standing at the door. That, it's right there. Lord knows what the next foot could fall and what could happen. And everybody's, if not all of you, there's at least a handful of you that know what, exactly what I'm talking about. You're feeling that today. On the one hand, we have faith. Yes. There's not a thing in the world I can do. I have to leave it to God. Right? Somebody give me some amens on that, because if y'all don't believe that, we're in the wrong place. There you go. Amen. Got to have faith. Can't do anything about it. God's the only one that can. I need to leave it to God. On the other hand, there is action. I can and I should operate very differently. Some people do, some people don't, but... And there's debates about all that. I understand all that. But pretending and acting as if there's nothing going on, that's not even an option for the most fervent unbelievers of all of this. It changes. You do things differently. Going on around like nothing's happened is not really an option. So while the impact of our certain situation that we're dealing with right now in 2020 in this world at this time is not exactly the same as going on in this passage. It's a matter of this life versus eternity, but the tension between faith and action is on display, and I think in a very real way, and Jesus is discussing in this passage. And what I want you to be listening for as we talk through what he says here is how Jesus resolves that tension between faith and action. I want you to see this. That's where we're going with all this, that tension between faith and action. Remember, we're talking about 
in this, in this section of Mark the, that what discipleship looks like, following after Jesus, what that actually looks like. And he says in verse 13, or he starts to give us an illustration of this, and starting in verse 13, as, they, as it says in 13, they brought young children to him, to Jesus, that he, Jesus, should touch them, that he would bless them, that he would, in some cases, maybe heal them or uh, help them in some way. So there, you can imagine mamas and daddies and un uncles and aunts and grandparents and brothers and sisters bringing their children to Jesus. And the reason they're bringing them is it's a range of things. I want my child, just like some of y'all, you want your child to grow up to be a healthy, happy, young, uh, young, young adult. You maybe you're bringing them to them because some of you, uh, have, you have a child or have had a child that was very seriously ill, maybe even on death's door, so they're bringing that child to Jesus to heal him, heal him or her. But that's what they're bringing them to Jesus, and they're, they're saying, I want Jesus to touch him, I want him to heal him. These are children, and you know what children are? We all were children at one time. And you know what you were when you were a child? There's no other way to cut it, but you were weak by comparison to bigger, stronger people. You were dependent. Now, it's a shame, unfortunately, in our world, some children are treated as if they're independent. They're left to fend for themselves. Uh, and I know children would rather do that. I understand that. But children were, are dependent. They are dependent on parents and grandparents to provide for them. That's what they are looking for. That's what they have to have. That's why God gave them to parents, to a mama and a daddy, to take care of them. So they're weak. They're independent. Or rather, they are dependent. They are helpless. It's why it's such a shame when, one, when, a, when a person harms a little child. It's such a shame. Not only is that person supposed to know better, and actually to be in a position to help the child, but that child is, for all intents and purposes, ignorant of what that person might even be doing and actually is wired to be dependent on that person. So when someone sexually abuses or physically harms or mentally abuses or emotionally abuses a small child, that is the, one of the most despicable things. And those children, when they come to Jesus, and when they come to really any adult, unless they have been harmed, and you know how this happens, maybe even some of you have had to deal with this yourself, but when, that, when those children come to Jesus, when they come to an adult, they're coming not maybe even fully understanding what's going on. I, I remember when I was saved, I was, a, I was a very young boy when I was saved, and I knew in my heart, know in my heart even today, that I knew that I had a need, I can tell you I didn't understand half a quarter of what I needed, but I knew something was missing. I, def I knew understood less of what was going to fix it other than I knew that Jesus was the only hope I had. But that simple, literally childlike faith was what I come to Jesus with. And that's exactly what children come to adults with. They came to Jesus in this instance with. They come not fully understanding, but truly, fully, fully trusting, unless someone's given them a reason not to trust, right? And unfortunately, in this world, there are so many children that cannot trust because people have given them too many good reasons not to trust. But the natural state of a child is one that's trusting, maybe not fully understanding, but trusting. But look at what the disciples do in verse 13. His disciples rebuked those that brought them. They said, Send them. What are you bringing the young in here for? Sounds just like church folk to me. Um, disciples turned them away. Children weren't important enough. They're a bother to Jesus. They're not good enough. 
their detriment to what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to do some serious work, important work here. They're not strong enough to help Jesus. They're a distraction to him. What in the world are you bringing them around here for? You've heard people say that to you, to your children. God help us, we might have said it to a child or to ourselves. But they're turning and sending them away. Jesus, when he saw it, verse 14, he was much displeased. And he said unto them, suffer or allow, and allow the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For such is the kingdom of God. He says, come on, let them, let them come in. Let them come to me. Because Jesus loved the little children. Jesus loves the little children. You know the song, right? It's a true song because he really does love the little children. He does love them. He loves, even as we've seen in previous passages and we see on Sunday nights, he loves his little ones, he calls them. And he's talking about his, the Christians, but we are his children. He loves us in the same way. He loves them. He says, I want you to let them come to me. And he says, not only do I want you to come to me, but he says in verse 14, the very last phrase, for of such is the kingdom of God. He says, not only do I want them to come because I love them, but, but they're actually showing you something that you need to understand that's bigger than these little kids that are just walking to me. There's something going on here. They're an illustration of a truth. He says in verse 15, here's the truth. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. It's an illustration of the truth. He says, listen, these children that are coming to me, who are coming to me, completely trusting me, coming to me completely not understanding everything that I'm doing, they may not even understand who I am fully, but they trust me, they love me, they are accepting of me, they are coming to me completely in full faith, without questioning. These children are an illustration of what you disciples need to be like. He says, you need to come to me as a little child. And if you come to me as a little child comes to me, he says in verse 16, look at what he does. And when they, when after he says his peace, he says, and he took them up in his arms and he put his hands upon them and he blessed them. He says, if you'll come to me as a little child will come to me. You'll just, you, you put away those, those doubts and those fears. You put away, took off, take off your professor's hat. Quit, quit trying to overanalyze everything. You just come to me as a child would come to a trusted adult and just come to me. And you do that, I'm going to wrap you in my arms and I'm going to accept you. You see, Jesus loves us and serves us where we are. And this is a very scandalous truth. I don't think y'all even understand why it's a scandal, but if you really think about it, it's a scandal to us. You see, religious people, and I know who I'm talking to. Y'all are religious people. Because I'm looking out at a crowd of people with very few exceptions that y'all are the people I see every Sunday. You understand that. And if y'all come every Sunday, either you're crazy or you're religious. One of the two. Maybe it's both, but there's a lot of religious people in this room. And you know what religious people want, generally speaking? Myself included. So I'll put myself in with y'all. You know what we want? We want people to understand. We want people to believe the way we believe. We want people to, we want people to live up to our standards. We want people to do certain things. Again, maybe y'all don't want to take on that mantle. I'll just stand here as the man speaking and say, I do that. I have standards in my head, right, wrong, indifferent. I have standards in my head that I expect of y'all, and most of you don't live up to them. Truly, you don't. 
And Lord, help you if you don't come, that person that comes in the door that I haven't seen before and looks a certain way, acts a certain way that I don't, that I don't particularly care for. And you know what I want to do? It's a scandal to me. I want to say, y'all get out of here. You're not part of this. You, you got to understand what we're about here. You don't, you don't fit here. But Jesus says, no, y'all come. You, you might not look the right way. You may not believe all the right things. You may not understand everything you're supposed to understand. And yeah, there's some stuff you're doing that's wrong. But just come to Jesus like a little child, and he'll receive you. And if you can't take that, religious people, Pharisees, Matthew, if you can't take that, he says, Whosoever of you shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Jesus said, if you can't take the truth that Jesus loves everyone, he accepts any who will come to him. If you can't take that, if you expect them to clean up, straighten up, live right, fly right, believe right before they come to Jesus, he says, if that's your way of thinking, you are not one of his. Can I put it to you in y'all's language? Y'all ain't saved. You still need Jesus if that's where you are. That's what Jesus said. But if you do come to him in that way, look at verse 16. He'll take you up in his arms, put his hands on you, and he'll bless you. He'll wrap his arms around you. That's what he'll do. As if on cue, Jesus is telling his disciples this, and they're kind of going to the next, next scene. It says in verse 17, he was gone forth into the way, so he's moved on down the road. But as if on cue, it says there comes one running. Kneel to him and ask him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This man comes running to Jesus. I mean, I just told you, you need to come to Jesus. Just accept him. Just run to him. Come to him and just embrace whatever he tells you. You just need to come to him. And Jesus hears the man asking these things. He says, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, I, I want to stop real quick and just tell you, if, if, if somebody comes to me like this, I'm going to tell them, hey, man, I got one on the line. Think about Brother Mark going fishing. Yeah, was it yesterday he went fishing? Yeah, I'm going to catch on. You kinda, it's like you got one on the line. You know that feeling. You got one on the line. I got one. He's going to run to me. I'm going to think, I got him. I don't want to let him go. I'm going to try to hang on to him. That's what I would do. But look what Jesus does. He says, uh, verse 18, well, I call thou me good. There's no one, there's no, none good but one, that's God. He's almost like he's trying to run him off or something, you know? But what he's actually doing is he is probing this man about how serious he is. He's first saying, do you have a right view of God? Do you understand who God is? Of course, we understand God would be the only one that's good. That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to make sure that God is seen as the highest one. I, I think he understood, Jesus understood that this man who's coming to him might have seen Jesus as person not god i know he's god but he didn't see him as god so i'm as this man this master who knew a few things that if i could go to him i can get some information and jesus is saying listen you don't need another human teacher you need god that's who you need you need that so he's making sure he understood that then he says in verse 19 okay make sure you know there's only one good but god there's only one good his name is god verse 19 thou knowest the commandments do not commit adultery do not kill do not steal do not bear false witness do not Defraud not, 
honor thy father and mother. He says, you know what the, the, the law says, right? Well, look at what the man says in response, verse 20. Master, all these have I observed from my youth. He says, Jesus is saying to him, listen, do you understand who God is, but do you also understand who you are? That's what the law does. It's a schoolmaster to teach us who we are. Do you know who you are? If you, know what, if you understand who you are by the law, by the law of God, not just the law of man, but the law of God, you know who you are? You're a sinner in need of a Savior. But what does this man say he is? I have, I have observed, all these have I observed from my youth. He says, I've done that since I was a little boy. I've done that. I've done all those things. Check. Got it all done. If I were to put him in the Independent Baptist Church today, he would be saying, well, I went to Sunday school. I graduated from a Christian school. I went to a Christian university. I got all, all of the accolades from my church. I was had perfect attendance in my school, in my church, excuse me. I, I was always there when the doors were open three times a week, Sunday school and revival meetings. I was in all of those things. I did all the stuff. I cut my hair right. I wore my pants right. I, I did all the right things. I, didn't, I was wearing modest clothes. I, I listened to good music. You know, that, this is what he would say. This is what he would be saying. I did all that. I'm good, but I want to make sure I'm saved, Jesus. I'm, I'm good, but I want to make sure I'm saved. I want to go to heaven when I die. His answer indicts him. His answer indicts him because he's missing the point. I, I've got a point I want to make, but I need to make this point to y'all very, very clear. If you don't understand who God is, perfect, holy, righteous, your creator, the one to whom you owe everything, the one who has all the answers, the one who knows everything that's right, that anyone that falls short of him and his glory is doomed. And you don't understand who you are, a sinner in the hands of an angry God. If you don't understand those two things, you've missed the whole conversation. Because there are people who will go to hell, people who will go into eternal damnation, who are good people, who do good things, that you would look at and say, they are good people. They are Christian people, we would say. But they have failed to understand that there is a holy God and that they are a sinner. Because until you get to that point and see the chasm between how holy God is and how unholy you are, there is no hope and there is no help. And Jesus is making this point to him, listen, you got a problem, man. But Jesus handles it in the best way possible. I would not handle it the way Jesus does, but that's why he's Jesus and I'm not. He handles it the best way possible. Look at what he says. Verse 21, Jesus beholding him loved him. Now, that's an important phrase for you to understand about what's about to happen, what's about to come out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus is not being sarcastic with this man. Jesus is not trying to catch him in a, in a lie. He's not playing gotcha. He is literally saying, I love you, sir. You are my creation. I'm coming to die for your sins. I want you to have what you're asking me for, which is, goes back to verse 17, what, may, must I, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He says, what can I, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says, I want you to have this because he loves him. And Jesus doesn't, you and I, we can say, well, I love you, brother. And behind, I'm like, ah, oh, whatever, it's a joker. That's not Jesus. When Jesus loves somebody, he loves them. You understand that? And here's what he says. One thing thou lackest. 
And you say, well, Matthew, you just made a big old point about the whole thing about God and sinner and all that. Yeah, but he's making the thing that this man lacks is the same thing every man and every woman lacks. Just understand that. Jesus is, playing, he is doing this the best way possible. He is being kind, as Jesus is always kind. But he says, this is the one thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up thy cross, take up the cross, and follow me. Jesus says, you're lacking one thing. It's the one thing every person on the planet lacks. And that is, you have to give up everything and follow me. You say, well, does that mean if I've got any money, I've got to get rid of my money? If that's the thing that's keeping you from following Jesus, Absolutely. Because what happens here? When Jesus says you need to sell all your stuff and go come back and follow me, look what happens in verse 22. He was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, it's a sermon on the mount, that blessed are the poor in spirit. The same idea that he's getting at here with this rich young ruler, as he is often called, that we have to get to the point where we acknowledge our powerlessness and our bankruptcy apart from Jesus Christ. If we're not there, if Jesus is nothing more than the whipped cream and cherry on top of our milkshake, if he is nothing more than the paint on the wall of the beautiful home that we have just created if jesus is nothing more than a little makeup on the face in the morning if that's all that jesus is that little extra something that kind of gets us over the edge if he is just the missing piece in an otherwise perfect life then you are missing the point you have to understand that jesus is not an add-on Jesus is not an option. Jesus is not an extra. Jesus is not an additional thing. Jesus is the central thing of the person, of the human life. He is the central thing. If we do not deny ourselves and pursue him, if we are going to try to hang on to ourselves as we quote unquote pursue him, we have lost it. We have missed it. We have missed it. This is what this man was doing. Jesus is not saying that you have to be poor financially to go to heaven necessarily but he is saying in fact he goes on to say look what he says in verse 24 he says uh, the children the disciples are astonished he says children how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of god those people who are looking at riches and you and here's the thing i know y'all you're sitting there saying well i hate it for those rich people i ain't rich so i ain't got to worry about that Y'all are missing the point too. First of all, first of all, let me just kind of debunk this idea that y'all ain't rich. You may not think you're rich, but compare yourself to the rest of this planet, y'all are rich, even the poorest among us. First of all, that's the first thing. Second thing is even if you could say, and I would say you would not be right to do so, but let's say you could argue you're not rich. I will tell you that richness and wealth isn't just in how many dollar bills you got in the bank. And Lord, hope that that's not the only measure of wealth because we all are pretty poor on that measure. There's other measures of wealth. I, I hope you have friends. You have religion. 
You do have possession, you have talents, you have your mind, you have your health. There's all kinds of things that we have. And we, you know what we end up doing? Is we bank on those things. And our wealth is keeping us, many people, from God. As I mentioned, Brother Mark's song, I'll take Jesus over a million dollars any day. But don't ask me to prioritize him over my career. Don't ask me to prioritize him over my business. Don't ask me to prioritize him over my vacations. Don't ask him, me to prioritize him over my retirement. Don't ask me to prioritize him over the things that I hold dear, my family, my children, my friends, my, my, my sports, my pursuits, whatever those things are. If you're not willing to give up whatever that thing is, and I, I can't, I mean, there's as many things as there are people in this room. We all got our thing, don't we? But if you're not willing to give up your thing, or if not give it up, at least use it for God, because God may not ask you to give it up. He may actually say, take that business that you have and make sure you're using it and the profits from it towards the service of the Lord. Maybe that's what he's doing. But the point is that you're going to do that and use it for God. If you're not willing to give it up or use it for God, I'll just tell you what Jesus is telling you. You're not one of his. You're not saved. But if you will give it up, you will use it for him, he'll take you in his arms, put his hands on you, and he'll bless you. When I get to this point in the sermon as I was preparing it, the thought that comes to my mind is, I don't know if y'all are going to be paying attention or you're disturbed, because there's not an option, a third option. You're either not paying attention or you're disturbed. I just don't know where y'all are right now. I'm disturbed. I'll just tell you that. Because Jesus is saying, it's hard for rich folks to go to heaven. And again, I want to reiterate, I don't think he's just talking about people who have a lot of money in the bank. I think he means anybody who's got wealth under lots of definitions of wealth money in the bank of course being one of those things but there's so many other definitions i think of wealth that i think he even has in mind here whether it's you're rich in possessions and money rich in comfort and love rich in religion rich in respect there's all kinds of ways we can be rich the disciples when they hear it they're shocked look what he says in verse 24 the disciples were astonished Verse 26, after he makes the point about the camel and the eye of the needle in verse 25, he says in verse 26, they were astonished out of measure. They were, they were sitting there saying, what in the world, Jesus? You just said, basically, nobody can go to heaven. But remember what was said before about the children. Just come to, come to Jesus as you are. And now you're saying nobody can go to heaven. He's, then they ask the question that I ask, and I think, I hope you're asking, verse 26, who then can be saved? What are you talking about, Jesus? Again, I hope I have. I, I don't know if I've done this very well or not, but I hope I have appropriately frustrated your thinking, because that's, I think, Jesus' point here. He's trying to say, listen, anybody can come. Oh, but you can't come because you got stuff in your way. Anybody can come, but not you. What? What are you saying, Jesus? Which way is it? How is it going to work? He answers it and resolves it in verse 27. Jesus looking upon them with them saith, 
With men, it is impossible. But not with God. For with God, all things are possible. If it depends on me, having enough faith to put aside my doubts, if it depends on me, loving God enough to take whatever I've got in this life and saying it is, as Paul said, it is but dung, then it's impossible. I'm not going to heaven. I'm, ta- I'm not talking about y'all. I'm saying Matthew Tilly's not going to heaven. If that's what it counts on, if that's where it's dependent on me, I'm not going to heaven. And if, <laughs> my selfish way of viewing it, if I ain't going, I ain't thinking the rest of y'all are going either. <laughs> but if it depends on God, all things are possible. That means the worst sinner you can imagine can go to heaven. That means that hardened, hate-filled person can go to heaven. That means that greedy man that won't let go of his greed and his wealth and his possessions can go to heaven. That means that woman who's been hurt, that woman who is suspicious of everybody can go to heaven. That selfish man, that proud person, those religious people who want to turn everybody away, they can go to heaven. So it's not a question of, as the man asked in verse 17, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? We got to change that question. God, How are you going to take somebody that doesn't trust and have enough faith? How are you going to take somebody that holds on to everything in this world except for you? How are you going to change me into someone who can enter into the kingdom of heaven? You're going to have to do it, God. I can't do it. This is where you've got to get to. See, becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ is a very costly proposition. You have to become something that is super unnatural. Weak, insignificant, weak and helpless and dependent like a little child who willingly trusts God's going to handle it all. And I know we talk a good game about that, but I guarantee you ain't two-thirds of y'all, ain't even a third of y'all in here that actually do that on a regular basis. Most of us, we hitch and haul. We say good things, but we hitch and haul every time when it comes down to truly trusting God on things. Again, maybe y'all don't, but I do. Every time. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, that means we're going to have to do something. We're going to have to have faith, and we're going to have to do something that is fully unnatural. I'm going to have to take everything that I am, everything I've worked hard for. Again, I imagine that y'all are like me, that the things you possess are things that you've earned. You've sweated for, you've bled for, you've, you've invested in. Those are your things. And the last thing you want to do is give them up as if they don't matter. But Paul says we have to count them as dung and follow Jesus to our death. That's what discipleship looks like. And if you're honest about it, those costs are way too high. It's too much. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible, including the most important thing in the world, which is to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. The question it comes down to, and I want to ask every person in this room, I hope you'll listen to me, and I hope you will pose this question to your soul, and I hope you will answer it honestly. Are you a self-made Christian? Are you a self-made religionist, a person who follows Jesus out of 
convenience because it fits the narrative of your life? Or have you been made into a self-sacrificing, fully dependent follower of Jesus? I can tell you by my own testimony that as one who was born to a pastor's family, missionary's family. My mama is proud of the fact that she gave birth to me. I can't remember what day of the week it was. She'll tell you down to the minute when I was given birth to and the next Sunday she was in church with me. She's proud of that. That's how I was raised. I'm talking about I had a daddy that did hellfire and brimstone kind of preaching. We're talking about the kind of preaching that'll peel paint off the walls. He's that kind of preacher. And he lived everything he preached. And I can tell you, I can sit here and I can tell you that it is natural for me to go to church. It is normal for me to go to church. And I can sit and rant and rave about why these heathens in the world don't go to church. So it fits my narrative to say I'm a Christian. It fits my story. You understand that? It fits my story. So the, the people like me, and there might be one or two of y'all among us, people like me, you're in the most dangerous position in the world. Because what's going to happen is it's a natural step, like rolling out of bed in the morning, like going, going, to, the, going to the grocery store. It's just a natural thing of your life to be part of a church. And you have to understand that you are a self-made religionist. That's not going to get to heaven. That is not one of Jesus' people. You've got to be the kind of person regardless of your past, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it was, whatever you endured. Some of y'all have endured terrible upbringings. Some of you have made terrible decisions. Some of you have made great decisions. It, there's all kinds of people in this church and all kinds of people in our community, but you've got to get to that point that says, no matter what has happened, good or bad, prior to this point, that I am what I am only by the grace of God. He has made me what I am. And until you get to that point, and unless you're at that point, you are not going to heaven when you die. It's either Jesus or it's nothing. Would you rather have Jesus? I hope you'd say yes. But you're going to be put to the test. In fact, you're being put to the test now. Would you rather have Jesus? Or are you going to keep on holding on to everything else that you've got and say, Lord, let me into heaven because I've done this, that, and the other thing says in, in the book of Matthew, I believe it is, that he's going to look at you in that day and say, you may have done some great things in my name, but I don't know you. It's what he's going to say. Because things are impossible. Getting saved is impossible. Who can be saved? It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.